Welcome to the PEI podcast, where we discussed all things hearing healthcare, from hearing aids to balance and everything in between. For those listeners that are joining us for the first time, my name is Dr. Rebecca Blaha, and I've been an audiologist for 18 years, and I'm currently an assistant professor in the Osborne College of Audiology at Salis University. And I'm also the lead audiologist at the Pennsylvania Ear Institute, which is our on-campus training clinic for students in our Doctor of Audiology program here at Salis. I specialize in hearing devices, including cochlear implants and bone conduction devices, as well as providing services related to the management of tinnitus. I'm joined today by my colleague, Dr. Harvey Abrams. Oh, thank you, Dr. Blaha. And I appreciate the uh, invitation to participate in the PEI podcast series. Um, I've been in this field, you know what? I think it's going on six decades, by the way. (laughs) And uh, I know, and I've um, I've been involved in, uh, as a clinician, as an administrator, as a research, as a research administrator. Uh, Most of my career has been with the VA and military. Uh, However, after retiring, I entered uh, industry, and I've been doing that for the last 10 years. I was uh, head of research for one of the major hearing aid manufacturers. And, uh, and then I uh, joined a startup company and uh, where we've kind of pioneered a new approach to hearing healthcare delivery, which is based entirely on a digital and remote model of care. Also, during all this time, I've been involved in teaching. I've taught at many universities and the latest being at Salus where I currently teach uh, students in the Doctor of Audiology program. Excellent. So today's topic, which I think you're uniquely qualified to discuss, is factors affecting the cost of hearing aids. Since you have worked with the VA and industry, you have a lot of insight into this area. And I always enjoy your article that you wrote in 2013 um, on, so you think you can build a hearing aid for $100? Go ahead. (laughs) I reference this article all the time because I really appreciate how you outlined the factors that influence the cost. And so I'm thinking this is timely because of the introduction of over-the-counter devices as of October of 2022. And I've come across primarily the argument is that OTCs are necessary because the prescription devices are too expensive and price a significant portion of people that could benefit out of the purchase. So what, how can we break this down and discuss? Because I've seen some OTCs that are now available for about $80. So you got to question that. It's too good to be true. And I'm sure, how is it possible that we have prescription devices that cost thousands of dollars and yet OTCs are being less than 100. Yeah, so that's a very important question. It's a key question and uh, sort of been driving um, hearing health care policy for the last several years. Um, it began uh, several years ago with a report out of the uh, Presidential Council of Advisors in, technology, in Science and Technology under the Obama uh, administration uh, that examined uh, reasons for the relatively low uptake of hearing aids in the American adult population, despite the fact that the research has demonstrated how hearing aids truly benefit individuals, and not only in terms of their communication abilities, but also their 
quality of life. And more recent research, very compelling to suggest that hearing aids also help to delay the onset of uh, cognitive uh, dysfunction and specifically dementia. And so if in fact hearing aids are so beneficial, why is it out of the reach of so many Americans, uh, particularly from the economic perspective? And it wasn't just the economics, it was also what's called the accessibility factor as well. So there's a whole structure involved in getting hearing aids. Um, and this might involve an individual first going to their primary care physician um, with a complaint of hearing loss, then the primary care physician referring that individual to an ENT specialist. That ENT specialist rules out any ear disease, then the ENT specialist refers to an audiologist. And then the audiologist does their evaluation, and uh, hopefully by that point, uh, the individual is still um, interested and uh, in pursuing hearing aids and getting hearing aids. So you could see how the path uh, and the journey to getting hearing aids are somewhat uh, uh, cumbersome. Mm -hmm. um, and to add to that, um, the average cost of a hearing aid, uh, about $2,600. So yes, the question then is, well, why do hearing aids cost so much money? Um, and I think what's been lost in a lot of this discussion, even from the PCAST report, is the professional services component. So hearing aids are a medical device um, as such, the manufacturer, the distribution, and the sales must comply with a rigorous set of uh, state and federal regulations. And that has some costs associated as well. Uh, so that's just the device part of it. So while the components may not cost that much, the ability to manufacture millions of these devices in uh, labs and manufacturing facilities that meet state and federal guidelines increases the cost. There are humans who do this. There are engineers involved. There are technicians involved, assembly people that are involved, and their salaries have to be paid. Their fringe benefits have to be paid. Um, interesting thing about hearing aids and the hearing aid industry is that the technology is rapidly evolving. Um, so I, I have a laptop here, as many people do. And I'll tell you, there hasn't been much change other than perhaps the speed of processing, but there hasn't been much change in personal computers and laptops, the form factor, the design maybe, but in terms of the underlying technology, they operate fairly similarly as they have in the past several years. Hearing aids, on the other hand, seem to undergo uh, technology updates on almost a six month cycle. Um, and they're pretty impressive. Um, types of technology updates. So in this little device that we have, you know, bigger maybe than the last digit on my thumb, you have a tremendously powerful computer. You have the ability to um, identify and separate speech from non-speech. You have multiple microphone systems that are able to reduce sounds coming from behind, those sounds that perhaps aren't wanted. You have uh, a, an ability to stream uh, your peripheral devices, your phone, your music, your TV into your hearing aid. Uh, 
we have and we've improved the ability to get rid of that high-pitched whistling sound, the feedback that was often the bane of hearing aid users. And we continually make them um, cosmetically uh, better and better. Um, we can take sounds that individual can no longer hear in a very high-pitched range and move those sounds down into the pitch range that the individuals can hear so they can process that information and on and on and on. And so this is the kind of technology that constantly evolves. Well, you know, there are engineers that need to design this. Um, there are people like myself in the industry, the researchers that need to test this out on a population of hearing impaired individuals to make sure that in fact, this technology is in fact benefiting the people who are going to use it. And that's not always the case. You know, sometimes we strike out. We have a really exciting idea. We create a prototype. We test it among hearing impaired people. And lo and behold, uh, it just didn't make that much of a difference. Or the cost of integrating this into the hearing aid is just not worth the benefits that we're able to achieve. So it's not unlike the pharmaceutical industry, uh, Dr. Blaha, where you're coming up with kind of drugs to treat diseases. Many times and most of the times the drugs don't end up being beneficial or they're not safe, they're not effective. And so you move on, you learn from that and you move on. Same thing happens in the hearing aid industry. So I just put this out there just so that people understand the costs that go into the kind of technology that goes into the hearing aids that people are now be able to uh, to purchase. All right, that's just the device, right? That That's the thing. Now, with prescriptive hearing aids, prescription hearing aids, there's a whole other set of costs involved, and those are the professional service costs. Um, now, up until recently, an individual just couldn't go into Walmart and Costco and pick out a hearing aid on the shelf. You went into a clinic, audiology clinic, university clinic, where an audiologist would evaluate your hearing and determine among the many hearing aids that are out there, among the many technologies that are out there, among the many models that are out there, what is that device, that hearing aid, that technology that is best suited for your particular hearing loss and your particular set of communication problems. Don't forget, two people with the same hearing loss may have a whole different set of communication challenges. So one of the benefits of going to a clinician is in fact to help identify what the specific communication challenges are so we can select the proper set of device model technology that will best meet your needs. So you've got a set of evaluations that you do, a battery of hearing tests. Then in some cases, we make a, a mold, an impression of your ear, uh, because everybody's ears are different. And we need to couple and connect the device to the part that goes in the ear. And that takes some skill. That's a cost associated with the manufacture of that particular ear mold. Um, then the hearing aid comes back. And what we do as clinicians, we make sure that what's coming out of that hearing aid is what we prescribed. And so there's another set of measurements. We call it real ear measures or probe microphone measures. And we modify through software the response of that hearing aid so it meets 
the particular prescription that we in fact have developed for the individual. Um, now, once that's all done, we spend time instructing the user on how to best use and care for the hearing aids, what to expect from the hearing aids. We may provide sort of a schedule of use um, and then have the individual come back, make any necessary adjustments. And most importantly, is to measure the extent to which the hearing aids and the treatment that we provided resolved your communication needs. We may even do more than that. In many cases, the device itself, the hearing aids, the technology, even as wonderful as they are, may not necessarily solve all of the problems of that individual because it could be their hearing loss is so severe that even with the best technology, they still experience challenges in very challenging environments, such as those environments where a lot of people are talking in the background. Um, in which case, we may recommend other devices, such we call them assistive listening devices, or remote microphones to help reduce the background noise so that the sound coming through the hearing aids only represents the sound from the speaker of interest. Then there are other rehabilitative tools we might use. We call this auditory training, um, sort of like brain training, except for the ears. Um, a set of of games, for instance, that help the individual to better focus on the target of interest and try to ignore the background sounds, or games that help them to speed up their processing of sounds. Um, and we might be joined at the hip <laughs> for years with our patients because over time, um, perhaps their hearing gets uh, worse. We may have to make modifications to the hearing aids. We might add additional therapeutic uh, interventions. Uh, in time, we might um, opt for improved technology. So that's a lot of costs associated with those professional services. As a rule of thumb, um, of that $2,700 that go into the cost of that hearing aid, only one third of that is the cost of the hardware, the device itself. Two thirds or $1,800 is all of the professional services that are involved in successfully fitting and the device and following the individual and making sure we're getting the optimal results from the devices that we help select and fit. And I like that you gave a very succinct overview of the best practices that go into the dispensing of the device. I have seen in many arguments that the comparison to consumer electronics and that the price is only related to the product itself and does not have any professional component associated, that the total $2,600 is strictly for the tiny device itself. Now, the arguments are usually, okay, well, cell phones, you know, are extremely complex and have similar components and yet can be manufactured and sold at lower costs. So if the components are the same, why can't the cost be the same? And it's really more about the healthcare that goes along with the device itself. So then the other argument that I have heard is that the target audience that is not adopting has mild to moderate hearing loss and they do not perceive any deficit or communication difficulties. 
So how would we address that aspect of the non-adoption? Yes, and we could probably use eyeglasses as a nice analogy. I, in fact, have, these are just ones I got at a drugstore. It's great uh, for reading uh, my journal articles uh, and, in fact, getting better view of my small print on my iPhone and for computer usage. However, uh, driving, I need progressive lenses because I need to see what's out there. Plus, I also need to look at my GPS, which is close by. So for that, I need to go to an optometrist. I need to get my eyes examined. I need to get more sophisticated lenses. Um, and we can say the same thing, uh, same relationship may exist with people with hearing impairment. And that is if all your needs are um, essentially getting the TV uh, to a volume that's comfortable for you and other members of the household and perhaps carrying on a conversation one-on-one uh, -on -one, um, and your hearing loss is a mild, um, no worse than a moderate hearing loss, uh, it could be that these over-the-counter devices might suit you reasonably well um, and that you don't necessarily require a battery of uh, hearing tests. You don't require all of the professional services that go into the selection, fitting, and follow-up of hearing aids. However, if your hearing is more impaired, it's uh, more likely that these over-the-counter devices, which tend to be more technologically um, less complex, I should say, um, and do not have the gain and the output to meet your particular needs, those over-the-counter devices are not likely to meet your needs. Um, so that's the it's kind of the difference. That's the argument. Um, and the uh, argument for the segmentation, Dr. Blaha, that in fact, for people with more mild uh, hearing loss, it could be these over-the-counter devices might in fact suit them quite well. However, for people with more complex problems with greater hearing loss, uh, just as I need to go to an optometrist, and many people do, uh, for more complex um, uh, vision problems, you will need to go to an audiologist to optimize the benefits of hearing aids. Does that make sense? Yes, absolutely. And I've been recommending a lot of over-the-counter devices for many years. And I think that's one thing the consumers don't understand is that these are not new products. They were previously classified by the FDA as personal sound amplification products in some instances and can, based on their characteristics, transfer now to the OTC category. So personal sound amplification products are the lower cost amplifier options that initially the FDA stated should not be used for the correction of hearing loss, but yet they accomplished that goal. Um, but I recommended them for people who intended to use it more part-time where like readers, they would only use them for specific listening needs, maybe once or twice a week, or maybe once a month for lectures or meetings or social events. And so the investment was appropriate for the amount of time they were going to utilize the product. So I do think that that is helpful for people that may be on the border where we don't have a diagnosed 
um, impairment, something that would classify them as having hearing loss, but they do perceive difficulty. And so in order to address it, these devices, I think, offer just enough improvement um, for the amount of time and needs of the, the user. Now, there are, we've, we've talked about cost being a big driver and the process of obtaining these, but are there other factors that we might not be considering? Um, stigma, the use of products being less desirable, um, what has been your experience with that? Well, if you look at the, the research uh, that the actually the hearing aid industry itself um, runs, it's a what I call market track survey, industry surveys. And so the uh, industry actually commissions these surveys conducted every few years. And of course, in industry, you're very interested to know what are the drivers for hearing aid uptake? And what are the reasons people don't purchase hearing aids? Uh, what is it about our hearing aids that people like? What is it that they don't like? What is the nature of the journey, <laughs> the path to getting hearing aids that people like or don't like? And in terms of hearing aid uptake um, or the lack of uptake, uh, over decades, the same reasons seem to emerge. Um, and one is, and the most important, by the way, is not cost, interestingly. It's that I don't think my hearing loss is bad enough to yeah. get hearing. Isn't that interesting? Um, yes, cost is another. But in fact, I think they're related. It's not that I don't think my hearing loss is bad enough to get hearing aids, but I don't think my hearing loss is bad enough to spend mm -hmm. that money for better hearing. So it's a value proposition, isn't it? What's value? It's how much we're willing to pay for the benefits that we get. Um, and what I would suggest is that the OTCs now have kind of changed the calculation. Now, I might not be willing, I may not think my hearing loss is bad enough to pay $2,700 for, um, for these devices for better hearing, but maybe I'll be willing to pay you know, $1,000, right? So that's what will be interesting to see over time, is whether or not this lowering of the cost, the increase in accessibility and affordability will change that calculation so that people will be willing to pay uh, less money to get better hearing. And I'm very interested to see how that's going to emerge. Mm -hmm. I know that a lot of audiologists were very worried about the release of OTCs and how that would impact their practice structure. But I see it as probably being a good driver to unbundle services and therefore focus on the value of the professional component so that it is truly, this is what the device aspect costs you, but then this is your healthcare package. Right. And so I'm hopeful that we can move towards that aspect of practice because it's been debated, I can't even think of how many years, maybe 30 or more years, should we bundle? which is easier for the practice because you pay a lump sum, or should we unbundle, which I think imparts better education of the patient as to what the process entails, 
you know, we need to do these because their hearing aids are not wearable out of the box. And so the product has to be completely customized in order to be beneficial. And I think that component is not, the, the consumer's not educated on that aspect. And I would like to see that that comes out of this movement now that things are available. So any final parting words, things that our listeners should be mindful of if they are moving in the direction towards obtaining devices? Sure. Um, I would uh, advise everybody that this is new, right? And OTCs have just been approved for sale and purchase by the FDA. Um, like any new policy, like any new technology, things are going to change very rapidly. I put out $1,000 earlier, but that doesn't necessarily mean that's how much they cost. There's going to be a very wide range of prices for OTCs. There's going to be a wide range of service delivery um, models for OTCs. Um, there's going to be a very wide range of technologies in OTCs. Um, so be prepared, uh, keep your eyes open, read up on it. Um, but in the end, be particularly mindful uh, that it's a changing landscape. Um, I'd say the most important thing for consumers to uh, take into account is that they have the ability to try these devices, uh, that they have a return privilege and that there is a warranty, right? Uh, because if you're buying OTCs, essentially you're pretty much on your own. And so you want to protect yourself. You want to protect your investment. Um, and um, if in fact you don't think these devices are doing what you hope they would do, there's always the prescriptive uh, hearing aid um, path as well. And in that path, you're more likely to succeed but it will cost you more. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Well, thank you very much for your time today for the PEI podcast. And we look forward to more discussions on various topics in the new year. Thank you very much. Thank you. Bye-bye.